Should you be concerned about the Delta variant? Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System, broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. The Delta variant of the coronavirus now exists in all 50 states, hospitalization rates spiking virtually everywhere. The variant is easily transmitted and already accounting for a majority of new COVID-19 infections in New York State and around the country. We're pleased today to have Dr. Ed Telzak, Chair of the Department of Medicine at SBH Health System and an infectious disease specialist back with us on SBH Bronx Health Talk. Over the past 18 months, Dr. Telzak has walked us through the twists and turns of the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Telzak. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. So, so first of all, if you've been vaccinated, do you have anything to worry about in terms of the Delta variant? Well, I think we all have something to worry about with respect to the Delta variant and the whole family of variants that are likely to come after the Delta variant. Uh, You know, I know you asked a very specific question. I would just like to take a step back um, and and speak about uh, viral variants more generally. Uh, So when viruses replicate, Uh, there's not always a high fidelity to their DNA in their progeny viruses, meaning uh, when they're replicating, there are mistakes that are made. And uh, when billions of viruses are replicating billions of times, there are many opportunities for viruses to make mistakes along the way. And some of these mistakes, uh, I would say the vast majority of these these mistakes have no meaning whatsoever. Um, But on occasion, there are genetic mutations that occur in viruses, and in particular with the SARS-CoV-2, that occur in the spike protein, which is the area of the virus that attaches and is largely responsible for the transmissibility and and how pathogenic the virus is. Um, So these mutations result in in many different kinds of of variants. And uh, the the federal government, uh, the um, Health and Human Services, has put together this uh, SARS-CoV-2 interagency group that is rapidly characterizing the many different variants. These variants roughly, they've categorized them into three categories. Um, There are variants of interest, variants of concern, and variants of high consequence. And basically, as we move along that continuum, we should get more and more worried. Um, So what we're talking about today really are variants of interest. And the, uh, excuse me, we're talking about variants of concern. And the variants of concern become variants of concern because they may be more transmissible. Uh, They may cause some more more severe illness, hospitalizations, death rates might be higher, and maybe therapeutics or vaccines may be less effective. If you have any, or, or diagnostic, our standard diagnostic tools, PCR, for example, Um, may not work as well. If you have any of those characteristics, uh, that variant becomes a variant of concern. 
the Delta uh, variant is a variant of concern. It's a variant of concern because it's clearly more than twice as transmissible as the original Wuhan strain, which is what infected this country in the spring of 2020. The question of whether it causes more severe illness, I think, is still unsettled. Uh, and though vaccines remain very effective, they're not as effective as they were when they were originally tested on the Wuhan strain. So in some of the, so they, the Delta has characteristics that make it a, a, a variant of concern. Okay, okay. But having said that, um, if you have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, um, I mean, should you be kept up at night saying, well, geez, you know, I got to be careful where I'm going. I need to wear my mask. I need to stay out of the supermarket. Uh, or are you relatively safe? Right. So I would say right now, if you're fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated means you've received, you've received two shots of either the Pfizer or Moderna uh, or one shot of the Johnson & Johnson. Those are the approved vaccines in this country. And you've had two weeks after the last dose. So that's fully vaccinated. It's clear when, you're, when you receive only one shot, Delta, you're still at you're at high risk for for Delta uh, infection. Right. Um, the uh, if you're fully vaccinated, you're at significantly lower risk of becoming infected with Delta. Although how what that risk is still has not been settled. And so, for example, in, uh, in Canada in uh, Britain, uh, where there is a fair amount of Delta, it's felt that if you're fully vaccinated, you have about 80% protection from getting infected. In Israel, their analysis is lower. They think it's about 65% protection. But what everyone has found is that if you get infected with Delta and you are fully vaccinated, you're much, much less likely to get sick, much, much less likely to be hospitalized, and your risk of death is extremely low. So what we're seeing is that vaccination, even if you're infected with Delta, still prevents you from developing a severe enough illness that results in hospitalization and death. And that's the real power of the vaccine. Right. Now, I, I know you're talking about Israel, and I read that the Ministry of Health was concerned enough about, I guess, the waning efficacy of the vaccination and are now um, providing booster shots to a lot of the population. From, again, from what I've read, uh, while Pfizer is interested in doing it, the CDC is hesitant. What's your feeling on that? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, the pharmaceutical company should not be the one that makes recommendations about getting a booster shot of their particular um, vaccine. Um, it should really be the federal government. So the CDC, the NIH, uh, the Department of Defense, really there are agencies, the FDA, there are agencies that are looking at the data 
uh, in real time. Israel is recommending a booster shot for patients who are very immunosuppressed, as opposed to a more generalizable third vaccine for everyone. It's pretty clear that if you're very immunosuppressed, uh, you know, you have a malignancy, you're on chemotherapy, you're on chronic other immunosuppressive drugs because of lupus or similar conditions, that the vaccines do not work as well. That your um, the immunologic response that the vaccines elicit in a normal host are, are not as good if you're immunosuppressed. They're also, by the way, not as good if you're older. And so younger people, uh, they actually have more side effects when getting a vaccine. And the side effects are really a measure of the immunologic wherewithal to respond to a vaccine. So right now, Israel is only recommending a third dose for those who are very immunosuppressed. And there are doctors in this country who are also recommending a third dose for, for those types of patients, those patients with those conditions. But I think at the moment, the vaccine after two doses and then the vaccine after one, after the Pfizer and Moderna, and then after one dose of the Johnson and Johnson seem to be highly efficacious. And in particular, this past week, Johnson and Johnson published a study in the New England Journal uh, that was peer reviewed that showed that eight months out, uh, the vaccine in vitro still is highly potent uh, against a Delta variant. So for the moment, I would say no booster shot. And which leads me to a, a, another issue, which is that though in this country, we have plenty of vaccines and if people needed the booster shot, we could give them a booster shot. In much of the world, there remains an incredible shortage of vaccines. And I think the one thing we're really learning about the Delta variant is what happens in India, what happens in South America, what happens in uh, Sub-Sahara Africa, those variants will very much affect us at some point in time because people are traveling again. And that we should utilize our vaccines to try to immunize places that have large outbreaks. Because as long as there are large numbers of patients with uh, COVID, additional mutants will arise. And as these mutants arise, some will be mutants, some will be of no consequence. Uh, most will be of no consequence but some will be variants of interest, some will be variants of concern. Um, and right now there are a number of variants of concern in addition to the Delta virus. Uh, we don't have any variants of high consequence. That's where the vaccines don't work, the therapies don't work, those don't exist. But clearly that's a fear and a potential, you know, that, that clinicians, scientists, people involved in this field are concerned about. And so I would say, yeah. use our third ahead, doses to send abroad so that we can begin to vac vaccinate um, and have vaccine in many of the countries that are now in the midst of major outbreaks. Okay. Okay. Is there any 
from your perspective, is there any way of knowing that some of these vaccines of high consequence are around the corner, or is it just we're going to wait till it hits us in the face and then have to deal with it? No, so they're, they're, they're variants of high consequence. And, you know, up until very recently, uh, the United States was not genetically profiling the viruses that were circulating in this country. It's a relatively new phenomenon that probably started within the past year. Britain was doing it, France was doing it, but the United States was not. Now, the United States is very actively engaged on a federal level, but also many state health departments, many university laboratories, many city health departments, the New York City Department of Health are actively engaged in seeing what the dominant viruses that are circulating, what illnesses they're causing, and genetically how they differ from, uh, you know, from strains that are already cataloged. And so um, it's not that we'll know about it when it hits us in the face, but as additional mutations accumulate in the spike protein, and we know some mutations that already predict certain consequences, and as additional mutations are cataloged, um, we'll begin to get more concerned. Um, and we'll see a case or two or three. And, uh, you know, so I think it will be a gradual process. But what's very important and what's very consequential is that we are now catalyzing many thousands of strains that are circulating in this country, um, across the country, and really across the world. And so uh, we're much better prepared to know when a, a dangerous mutant will arise. Okay, um, I know you play poker, but I don't know how much of a betting person you are, but if you had to put a bet on it, are you saying that we're not out of the tunnel yet? That, you know, while you know, people are going to ball games again, people are going to concerts. I was at a meeting yesterday in a hospital where people weren't wearing masks that maybe were jumping too far ahead. I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned because there are a number of things happening at the same time. There is the development of, uh, of the Delta strain and, and perhaps other variants of interest, um, but in particular, uh, the Delta strain. At the same time that uh, society, really in many places across the world, are opening up and opening up in no uncertain terms. Um, and uh, I think the combination of that, plus um, still fairly substantial proportions of the population that are not taking the vaccines. And I think those three things all together uh, make COVID um, something that we will be dealing with in the near, mid, and I dare say long-term future. I think we are not out of the woods. Now, having said that, certainly for the near-term future, I'm not nearly as concerned as I would be because of the vaccines and because they're still very efficacious that we're going to return to a time such as um, uh, the spring of 2020 in New York City, 
where we were overwhelmed. I think that's not what we're looking at, but we're looking for uh, and, and, and expecting that in areas, it could be as small as a zip code, it could be as large as a county in Missouri, Louisiana, where there are large numbers of unvaccinated adults and children, where more than, you know, 55, 60% of the population is not vaccinated, where there can be outbreaks, and there are outbreaks now. In New York City, what we're seeing are rates that were about, you know, rates of positivity that were about half a percent three weeks ago that are now one and a half percent. So still very low, but, you know, of concern. You know, one and a half percent is what we were seeing last summer. We were seeing less than that. But summer is our best time. We're outdoors. We're not indoors. Um, And if we're seeing a tripling of the proportion, let's say, you know, in New York City, even though the rates are low, that I think is uh, gives me great caution. And, And we're, you know, we're fully opening up. And so I'm worried about I'm worried about our institution. I'm worried about the communities that surround our institution. You know, vaccine um, rates, and if I can just use a little cheat sheet here. Um, So adults that are fully vaccinated in the Bronx are 56%. Brooklyn is 58%. It's 10% less when you look at the entire population. So more than half the population in the Bronx and in Brooklyn are not vaccinated. And those numbers are even higher. Um, They're in the low, uh, ultimately, in terms of a population not vaccinated, they're in the low 40s, um, low 40 percent when we look at the total population of the Bronx and the zip code surrounding our hospital. So the majority of people are not vaccinated. And, um, you know, we could say, well, maybe we have a little more room to move in the, um, you know, 12 to 17 year olds. It's relatively new for them. Uh, Hopefully towards the end of August, beginning of September, the five to 12 year olds will be eligible for vaccines once the, the safety profile is proven, which I'm almost sure it will be. But vaccinating, you know, the 35 plus 40 percent of adults uh, who have resisted vaccines when they're readily available, by and large, is a real challenge for us. And that gives me great concern also. Is that going to change? Do you have any any faith that more people will decide to get vaccinated or have we reached the people up to now who are are interested in getting vaccinated? It's just going to be downhill moving forward. You know, well, I think, you know, people reject vaccines for a variety of different reasons. Uh, You know, there are in certain groups there, you know, the conspiracy theorists. I think in our population, there are people who have distrust of the medical system because of how they've been treated over, you know, decades by the medical system. I think there are individuals who feel still that the vaccine was developed too quickly. 
and that uh, even though, you know, 200 million people have gotten the vaccine in this country, still, you know, the safety has not been proven. And judging risk is a very challenging thing. And we hear an enormous amount about, uh, you know, the risk of vaccines. Guillain-Barre last week related to Johnson & Johnson vaccine. You know, there were 100 cases. 13 million people have gotten Johnson & Johnson. That's lightning striking level risk. And yet the risk of COVID is very real, is very tangible, and is potentially life-threatening. And those two risks proportionately should not be equated and yet often are. I do think there's a little room to move. I think the wrong people have been uh, spokespersons for the vaccine. You know, I think there need to be more African-American spokesperson. There need to be more ministers, more imams that are spokespersons for the vaccine. And, and I think, you know, there is in the single digits more. And I believe that if the Delta variant has a great impact on those who are unvaccinated, I think that will also convince a group of people to become vaccinated. Do you fear, I know Dr. Fauci said the Delta variant may result in two different Americas, those who have been vaccinated and those who haven't. And the concern I would have is even if you're in the country that has been vaccinated, we don't live in isolation, we travel. So we may be affected by that as well. What do you feel about that? Meaning, so is your question, if you're vaccinated, are you still safe? Well, that was the original question, but even if we have two Americas, one that is vaccinated, one is not, those who are vaccinated are gonna be at risk simply because we travel, we come into contact with people from Missouri or from Arkansas or from Louisiana, where the rates are like, what, 30% or something, um, that would give me cause for concern. Right, you know, no, as absolutely. A, as an infectious disease doctor, I'm sure you feel the same way. We're thinking right, I think people who are vaccinated, once again, they can get infected. They're, they're by and large protected if the vaccine works, but we've already, mentioned groups of people that the vaccine doesn't work so well. If you're immunosuppressed, there are 10 million people in this country who are severely immunosuppressed between or among transplants and cancer and chemotherapy and connective tissue diseases and people on, you know, there are new immunosuppressive agents being developed all the time for a variety of illnesses that are not malignancies. So that's a very large group that's at risk. The elderly remain at risk. They don't have the same, you know, I use the term immunologic wherewithal to have as high and as, and as durable an immune response against the vaccine. So yes, a vaccinated person carrying the virus can transmit that virus, probably at lower levels, but can still transmit the virus to vaccinated people let alone unvaccinated people, but vaccinated people who have not had the full benefit of the vaccine because of immunosuppression and or age. If you're immunocompromised or, or you're older, does it make any sense to get your antibodies checked to see if you are protected? 
I think that's going to become the standard at some point. Um, I think it does make clinical sense that if you, you know, we, we don't really know what the threshold is for, you know, effective antibodies. And there are lots of different antibodies that are being measured. But I think if you don't have an immune response, that would be an indication for me to advise that individual to wear a mask, to remain socially isolated, though with increased transmissibility, wearing a mask and being socially isolated may not have the same impact as it had earlier in the pandemic, but to also consider getting a booster shot. And, and it doesn't necessarily now, you know, England in particular has been doing a number of studies and lots of different countries are now mixing and matching vaccines. And there seems to be some benefit. You know, the concern initially was that, that the effect wouldn't be as potent, but there actually seems to be some benefit, at least in small early studies, that, you know, using in England, for example, they might use a Pfizer followed by an AstraZeneca and that that seems to give a, uh, a very broad-based immune response. So do you, do you think um, mixing vaccines is, is okay? I mean, if you had Johnson & Johnson and suddenly you're a little bit concerned about, you know, maybe the side effects and you, and, and, you know, you are older, you are immunocompromised and we have Pfizer shots available, would you recommend you, you mix and match? I would wait for the FDA to recommend. I don't want to get too far ahead, except to say that there are small studies, mostly done in England, that show benefit of, of mixing and matching. And part of the reason they mixed and matched was because of vaccine availability. And that's why it's being done in many other countries out of necessity. We are in a fortunate position where we can get you know, a second Pfizer shot, if we got Pfizer, a second Moderna shot, that's really where the data are. And so, you know, I, I, I would not make that a broad recommendation at this point. I would really wait for the FDA to make that sort of recommendation. But on an individual level, that might be something to be considered. If you have, if you have young children who are below the age of 12, should you be concerned about the Delta variant? Should you make sure they're not in situations where there are a lot of people not wearing masks and not socially distanced? I don't know when, you said the vaccines may be coming in the fall, but in the meantime, these, these children are not protected through vaccination. What would you suggest? Right, so that's a very complicated question. Um, we know that kids who get infected, especially younger kids, uh, less infectious, than adults, and they don't have the same severity of illness as adults. Um, I'm not sure we know that fully yet about infection from the Delta variant, but in general, that seems to be the case. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, some of them can't transmit the virus if they get infected. And so I would say that when, and, and schools will be opening up in the fall, um, you know, CDC has sort of given their blessing that there should be classroom learning. They've sort of added the caveat that individual counties, cities, and states need to make their own decision. But they basically feel like with some degree of social distancing 
and mask wearing that kids can go back to school and can have in-class learning. And I think that's probably reasonable that if, you know, if a young child is going to a very crowded situation or a crowded situation, uh, wearing a mask is probably a good idea. And once they're vaccinated, they no longer have to wear a mask. Okay, let me ask you uh, to summarize what we've been talking about. Uh, If you've been on the fence about being vaccinated, should the Delta variant pull you off that fence? You know, I, I think there's nothing that at this point in time that you can do for your health that's more worthwhile than to get vaccinated against COVID. And I'm saying that for everyone who's eligible for the vaccine. And that means being fully vaccinated, getting both doses um, of vaccine. That's the single most important thing that you can do for yourself. It's the single most important thing you can do for the people that are around you, for your family. And it's the single most important thing you can do for your community and our city, state, and country. I cannot emphasize that more strongly. Getting a vaccine is critical. And it's such a tragedy to me to see people hospitalized, very sick, people dying, all the deaths, the overwhelming majority of hospitalizations due to COVID are happening among unvaccinated individuals in this country. And it's a preventable disease. And every time we lose someone to COVID, it's someone that we should not have lost. They should have gotten vaccinated. On a personal note, it's, it's a very sort of painful thing to see this great advance in science to be immersed in the political machinations of the day such that people are not availing themselves to this really great advance. Okay, well, Dr. Telzek, thank you for some time today. Hopefully, we won't have to discuss COVID again anytime soon, which from what you're saying seems unlikely. Um, But again, thank you for joining us. Um, I also want to thank our listeners for joining us. For information on services available at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. Until next time. Thank you very much. I enjoyed speaking with you.